So, uh, to talk about our discussion with COPPA, we have Roy Smith, the founder and CEO of Privacy Check, and he had some comments basically about the Musical.ly blog post that we had about how certain companies are basically not fully abiding by COPPA or finding ways around it. And could you explain that a little bit more, Roy? Sure. Uh, COPPA uh, was uh, written, uh, I guess, originally in the late 90s, uh, and it uh, was in response to web pages that were asking children to give their parents credit card numbers and so on and so forth. All, all good ideas, all things that should be regulated and stopped. Um, but when COPPA was updated, um, there were a lot of people uh, in Washington that had an interest in COPPA not necessarily uh, causing a uh, large amount of friction for them to have uh, e-commerce transactions happen. And uh, in the end, uh, the, the law was constructed uh, with a number of what I call loopholes uh, that would allow perhaps a larger number of uh, companies to not be subject to the law than you would hope. Um, there's really three major loopholes. Uh, there's one called uh, uh, actual knowledge, which says that if you have a website and you uh, uh, don't know that there's children using your website, then you're not subject to COPPA. So quite obviously, a, a general counsel for a e-commerce company would say, well, then we need to make it our business to not know that we have any children on our site. <laughs> and uh, that's uh, one of the loopholes. Uh, it's probably not worth me going through the loopholes, yeah. but anyway. I would say with like uh, actual knowledge, do you see that as there's an incentive to be willfully blind? And isn't that yeah. better from like a policy yeah. perspective? Well, yeah. I mean, uh, if the law says if you know there's children on your site, you then have to go through all of the COPPA procedures, um, then there's going to be a somebody in a, in a company that says, well, we just have to make it our business to not know that. And we'll be legal in that case. So it's, it's sort of, uh, I understand why they put that into the law, but uh, it, it really did hobble the, uh, the ability to, to enforce it. Because obviously, if, I, if I'm driving my car and it said, well, if you didn't know the speed limit was 55 year, you don't have to get a ticket. That would be the end of the yeah, that's, I mean, when I was learning about this in privacy law class, I kept thinking about some like the Napster decisions when you have the inducement of infringement. It seems like you should have this type of standard that they go into later on, I think a little bit with a directed at children. But even though you don't have actual knowledge, if you can reasonably suspect that like children are basically going to be one of your main, you know, targets, I think definitely you should be under COPPA, or at least should be considering it. And it seems like sometimes that's not the case. Yeah, well, I think the, you know, the real problem there is, is expecting the ad industry or the e-commerce industry to self-regulate. Mm -hmm. They're actually being called on to say, well, do I know that I have children in my site? Well, no, we don't have children in our site, and now we're okay. Do I have, am I directing my sighted children? No, I don't direct my sighted children, so I'm okay. So it, it, that's, I mean, that's really just a part of it. The, at the end of the day, even with all of those loopholes, 
there still are quite a few. I mean, you know, the mobile game business is, uh, you know, when I got into this, it was a $15 billion a year business. It's now pushing $30 billion a year. Uh, and there's a hell of a lot of mobile games out there. And even with these loopholes, there's still a lot of games that you really can't say fall into any of the loopholes. So the question is, why isn't anybody going after those games? Who's the, who's the responsible party for enforcement? And, and that we, is the Federal Trade Commission. And why do you think the FTC is not going after them? Well, again, it gets back to the poor wording of the law. Here you have a law that has these loopholes, and it has, you know, it's very specific in what you're supposed to do if you want to be compliant. I actually you know, created my company, uh, which was called AgeCheck. We've we now renamed ourselves to Privacy Check to sort of broaden it. But when we formed the company, our goal was to uh, provide a technological solution that allowed these game developers to go through all of the various uh, machinations that you have to to uh, comply with COPPA. I mean, if I, went, if I went through what a game developer has to do, if they say, okay, we're going to be COPPA compliant, and we have you know, this many kids that come to our site, you essentially have to get the kid to tell you their age in a way that's somewhat tricky. You can't just ask them their age. You have to ask them their birth date. If they tell you an age that says they're under 13, you then have to say, okay, well, we really respect your privacy, Timmy, but you need to, to give us your mom's email address, and then we have to send mom an email, and she has to prove that she's an adult through a variety of different methods. And once she does that, then we're going to tell her what we're going to do with your private information. When mommy says it's okay, then you can play the game. So this is why the game publishers really don't want to, uh, you know, do it. <laughs> it's hard enough to be a game publisher right now with 50 million other games trying to get installed on the people's phones. Mm -hmm. This, the, the amount of friction I just described is very, very large. So um, it's it hasn't been enforced is because uh, I believe that for the Federal Trade Commission, you know, they look at this and say, okay, well, we're, we're, we are not going to enforce this 5,000 times. You know, we're, we're the Federal Trade Commission, but we're not, that's not how we roll. We do a couple of really big uh, enforcements that get headlines that scare the crap out of everybody, mm -hmm. and then we just, you know, hope that, that the world um, goes along with this. In addition, with COP, COP is a little unique because each state, has the ability to enforce COPPA itself. And that's actually, recently, that's what's been happening. In New Jersey and Texas, the state attorneys general actually ran their own COPPA enforcement. So, FTC uh, actually had other people doing their work. Uh, a third uh, enforcement happened from the Better Business Bureau. Uh, I guess it wasn't an enforcement. It was mainly sort of a wrist-slapping exercise. But there's other people who are looking at COPPA who are trying to to achieve the proper goals, but I believe at the end of the day, for the Federal Trade Commission, you know, they looked at, okay, we're going to do a big, massive, uh, the, the amount of fines that, that you could have under COPPA are just ridiculously large. It's up to $16,000 per child that uh, their private data is accessed. So take a game that's moderately successful, like a game with 20 or 30 million users, you know, if... Uh, a million of those users are kids under 13, and the FTC threw the, uh, the book at them, so to speak. A million times 16,000 would be a huge, huge number. It's one number that would never really happen, but it would certainly be career-ending 
for anybody at that company. So uh, the FTC certainly has a big enough stick, but I think when they looked at that and they said, okay, well, we're going to go after a Candy Crush or an Angry Birds or a Disney or a, a, a any you know, large company like that, they're going to try to get a large fine. They looked at it and said, okay, well, these guys are going to come back at us with a bunch of really good lawyers, and they're going to look at this law, which is kind of like Swiss cheese, and we're going to end up losing. We're actually going to, get, you know, we'll try to find them, and they're going to uh, challenge it, and we're going to lose, which for the FTC would be extremely, that would be an extremely bad outcome Yes. for them to lose in enforcement. And do you so think... My personal belief is that because the law is written so poorly, the FTC is really soft-pedaling their enforcement to only do enforcements with small companies that they know will not, you know, fight back against them and where there are extremely egregious, uh, you know, circumstances where the company really couldn't say, well, we didn't have knowledge that there were kids or it wasn't internal operations or uh, we don't direct our thing at, at children. So I would say, like, what do you think is the bigger concern here? That the fines or what they're asking from the companies? How would you, like, change it? to have better uh, compliance? Well, what are we trying to do? We're trying to protect the privacy of children who don't even understand what privacy is. We're trying to keep kids from posting pictures of themselves that bad people will take and use, you know, to target the kids or, or whatever. So, uh, you know, I think you have to have regulation that is, you know, reasonable, uh, that, that uh, companies can somehow comply with, you know, COPPA is on the very end of, of uh, being, it, it would be a very hard to comply with. That's why I formed this company, because I saw a way that we could create a cloud service that would make it uh, somewhat similar, or simpler. But it's still, I mean, everything I just said, you still have to go through that. So uh, it's, a, it's possible to make uh, these things uh, less egregious. Than, than COPPA. And again, as I said, when the law was being written, I think it's, it's certain that there were people in D.C. that were lobbying to make the law as you know full of holes as possible and as hard to do as possible because they realized that if they made it uncompliable, uh, then they would never have to comply with it. So it's sort of counterintuitive that you would have a lobbyist saying, you know, we want, to, we want this law to do this and that and make it absolutely... Uh, airtight and impossible for people to circumvent. I mean, there's there's a lot of, like, catch-22 things in, inside the law. I'll just give you one example that everybody always laughs at. COPPA says that when I want to verify that somebody is a parent, I have a, a number of different ways of doing that. I could have an 800 number where the parent calls in, which is, is going to cost the, the developer, you know, $5 a call. Mm-hmm. Or I can charge the parent a certain amount has to be at least a dollar because credit cards won't charge less than a dollar. And the fact that they have a, access to a credit card counts as being a parent. The, the funny one is, is that I can have a form on my site that a parent prints out and they sign and they put it in an envelope and mail it back to me and that proves that they're a parent. That seems like ludicrous almost. <laughs> yes. And it gets better. <laughs> we actually propose, you know, you go to a shopping uh, mall today and you run your credit card and you sign on a touch screen. Sign for it. 
Yes. That happens hundreds of millions of times every day in every grocery store and gas station. We actually proposed to the Federal Trade Commission uh, a new method that would allow a parent to sign that form, which I just told you, on the screen instead of having to get a piece of paper, sign it, put it in the mail, and send it in. So we're trying to improve the operational aspects of it. And the Federal Trade Commission, in their infinite wisdom, said, no, can't do it, not, not secure enough. Hmm. It seems really weird how the FTC is approaching this. It could possibly be they're not really equipped to be the ones making the regulations here. That's sometimes how I see... Well, they don't make them. They, yeah. they are responsible for enforcement. Congress enforcement, makes yes. the regulations. So Congress came up, you know, it was... Uh, uh, Jay Rockefeller was one of the other guys. I don't remember the other guy who was really the champion of COPPA, but uh, COPPA was updated in 2013 because mm-hmm. of all of the crazy stuff that mobile apps were able to do that websites weren't. So, for example, you know, if you're running a mobile app, without you doing anything, if the app accesses your GPS, it knows exactly where you are. So they uh, they did update the, uh, the the law. So there are people paying attention to it. It's just not people enforcing it. Now, I would say, like, another question with that. Do you think, in general, mobile games may be just collecting too much data? Uh, I don't know that I would say mobile games are really the problem. It's it's the, the technology behind advertising and targeting. But mobile games are definitely part of that because many mobile games are uh, monetized by having advertising in them. And a second aspect of that is the free-to-play mobile games that uh, essentially drive you to buy uh, whatever it is, like, you know, Smurf Berries or new levels or... Uh, uh, in-app purchases, they're called. That's how they, they make money. They give you the game, get you hooked, and then they sell you uh, tools to do things inside the game. All that's great, but they are tracking all sorts of things about you to optimize that monetization. And that, that really is the problem, that the average Joe doesn't have any clue of any of this stuff that's happening because it's all done electronically. Yes. So transparency is really... I don't think you're going to stop this kind of targeting, um, but I believe that transparency is is the best uh, solution where people actually know, okay, if I play Candy Crush, Candy Crush is going to keep track of how many hours I play every day, where I'm located when I play, what I play before, what I play after, and uh, friends of mine who I have used uh, their Facebook thing to get more games or, or whatever. I agree to that. If, I, if you tell me up front and I agree to that, I think that's fine. It's the, the problem with all this privacy stuff is, is that it's all done without people's notice. Yes. Uh, now, another thing interesting is that it seems like for the first time, America is being more proactive in privacy law than Europe with COPPA. That Europe basically adopted some of the provisions that we had originally in COPPA, Correct. That is correct. The GDPR's uh, child privacy component uh, is extremely similar to COPPA, but the, the details of that are still not just uh, coming out. So I can't say that it's a copy of it, but they have uh, clearly looked at COPPA as their model because it's nearly the same thing. It says if you have a child under the age of consent, which in Europe they allow each European Union member to choose the age, so the default is actually 16. So in Europe, you're a kid if you're under 16. 
uh, unless your state says that you're it's a different age. Like the mm-hmm. UK has chosen 13, which is the same as the US. Uh, but uh, the details aren't out, so I wouldn't I wouldn't say that it's a copy. But I do expect it to be very similar to to what COPPA is. And as I said in my uh, my written thing, the advantage is it doesn't have any of the loopholes that the U.S. Uh, law does. It doesn't have the uh, you know uh, not directed at children. We don't care if it's directed at children. If you got kids playing your game, you're subject to it. Which seems like the better rule. But it could be a little bit more onerous, oh, yeah. I guess. Oh, you know. Well, and they do enforce privacy laws in Europe, which we kind of do in the U.S., but there's a whole different perspective of privacy over there than we have in the United States. Yes. Um, and uh, so we can believe that that's really what the government's going to meet the road. And it's interesting with the safe harbor agreement being broken up about a year ago, and now there's this replacement agreement, which is called Privacy Shield. It's funny because that all the stuff that's in GDPR is actually kind of reflecting back into the United States because, in essence, what what the Privacy Shield Agreement says is that we, as U.S. companies, agree to keep the data and treat it in exactly the same way as GDPR requires you to if you're a European country. So uh, it's sort of funny that GDPR is now going to be, or it's on its way to being the law of the land for U.S. companies that deal with uh, European Union customers, which, since the world's getting so small and online, I mean, all these things just sort of impinge on each other. It's going to be interesting to see how, if anything's going to happen with Musical.ly or in general, if you're going to see any changes to COPPA in the future. Yeah, I think, you know, with what they're doing, they're almost setting themselves up to be a test case. You know, there's no way they can argue that we are we don't have kids involved, that we didn't know they were kids, that we weren't directed at kids. Um, you know, they're, they're going to probably be a test case. But uh, I haven't seen anything that they're doing anything wrong yet. So, uh, you know, they I'm sure the FTC is looking at it. Uh, there was one more point I wanted to make, which a lot of people don't know, that California actually published a law called CalAPA uh, mm. about 10, 12 years ago, which uh, was the, the law had to do with uh, privacy policies, and it said every site has to post a privacy policy, and it was updated to involve mobile apps uh, and games, and um, that law has never been enforced. Not once. Oh, really? Wow. That's, it's not just COPPA that hasn't been enforced. It's uh, If you, you do a search on CalAPA enforcement, you will see that they're really, the, the uh, California Attorney General has never uh, done any enforcement of that. There's one sort of tertiary case with a uh, an airline that, uh, uh, but it's not, it's not really what, what CalAPA was about. Do you think there's a reason for that, or... Well, again, uh, well, you know, it's if you're trying to get reelected, passing laws to protect privacy is a pretty easy way to get a feel-good moment. But mm, enforcing yes. privacy laws is tough, and not every state has a big uh, budget to do that sort of thing. What they did recently, the reason it came back up is uh, maybe two, three weeks ago, the California AG uh, did a press release saying 
hey, we have just announced this portal where people who are having an issue with a mobile app or a website that doesn't uh, say what it does with their privacy, you can now log on and lodge a complaint for Calapa. Oh, wow. I guess if enough people log on and say, well, I'm using my Uber app and it's, it didn't tell me what it's going to do with my information, then somebody from the California AG will call up Uber and say, hey, we got a problem. But I guess the answer is that the, the people who are uh, impinging on privacy are driving, you know, the ad, the ad guys and the, the analytics guys, they're driving at 100 miles an hour. And regulators are driving at about 20 miles an hour. So there's your problem. And I think the interesting thing is where are where is the public perception? Let's say where are they driving at? Is this one of their paramount concerns? Because I think recently you've seen more people get very interested in privacy and stuff like that. But you look at it years ago, they're not thinking about this at all. So it is interesting. Right. Will, are you right. going to see a lot of complaints now that people are thinking about it more I think it's even like post Snowden, you see this like increase in people thinking about privacy in like the public sentiment. Well, in the public, there's a big confusion over what is privacy and what is security. So when they hear about a uh, Home Depot having a breach of 55 million credit card uh, uh, numbers, that to them just sort of munches together with, with privacy and they think, oh my gosh, you know, my privacy is not, I'm, I'm not protecting it, you know. If you look at what people do on Facebook, for example, what, what they say they care about with privacy and what they show they care about by actually managing their own privacy, it's one of those things where the average Joe just kind of doesn't do anything about it. Yes. And that's always the most interesting thing because, you know, privacy law in general in America, usually you have the test of reasonable expectation of privacy. And sometimes it's like, you see certain people that are so active on social media giving away their privacy. They may be almost a small minority, and people that really care about privacy are just not talking about it enough. And that's what I think sometimes messes with the reasonable expectation of society, which is sometimes right. interesting. Well, a lot of it has to do with defaults. So, for example, if you or I create a Facebook account today, what are the default settings for privacy? Because we're just creating an account. We don't know anything about Facebook. Uh, and so because these all of these services make money based on the amount of data they can mine out of your activity, the defaults are always set to, hey, tell everybody what you're doing. Let everything open. And so there's a notion inside the privacy industry of a thing called privacy by design. And what that means is, that when you're designing a system or a service or an app, that you take into consideration the default position of, I'm going to retain the person's privacy unless they do something to change that. And that's the opposite of the way the vast majority of apps work today. And, of course, the reason is because that's how they get monetized, by, by using that, that data. So if, they, if, you, if Facebook had started with a default of privacy and not allowing all that stuff to happen, would Facebook be what it is today? Probably not. Because that whole networking and, uh, you know, the social graph thing, you know, that is what makes it go. So it's a tough call. But, but I think taking into account what people think is happening or giving them the ability to understand what's happening with their privacy is really the, in the future. I, I don't think we're ever going to go back to where we were 10 years ago where you, know, you sign up for a website, you just have no idea 
what they're going to do with your information, and they do whatever the hell they want. They oh, yeah. Of course that, not, especially... Not I think the GDPR uh, in Europe, when that was passed last December, that's really going to be looked back on as the turning point where uh, privacy is not a fair game for anybody to just go and do whatever the hell they want with anymore. They're going to have to respect people's privacy and design their things to respect people's privacy by default. Oh, definitely. And that's the, I, I think it becomes interesting that a lot of companies, when you have mergers and acquisitions or something along those lines, see all this extra collection of data that's not important to be an asset. And that's why I think it becomes very important that they do have the privacy notices and say everything up front because there's an incentive for a lot of these companies to collect extra. Well, that's an interesting point, too, because like for advertising targeters and, uh, and big data firms, when GDPR begins to be enforced in May of 2018, all of that data, which was collected without people's actual consent, becomes illegal. Well, wow. so if I have a database of 55 million people and I know everything that they like and do and what their ages are and all that, if I don't go back and get their consent to have that data by May of 2018, I have to delete it or else it's illegal because uh, there's no grandfathering in GDPR. And because of Privacy Shield, that also applies to U.S. companies. So there's like this big uh, fuse that's now 18 months away where all large databases that were gathered without people's consent are going to become useless. Yes, exactly. That's going to be really interesting, actually. I wonder, I don't think it would happen in America as well. I don't think they would adopt something like that, but who knows? Well, they don't have to. If you're a company that has anybody in the European Union as a customer, you have to abide by GDPR. But so any reasonably sized company has got a worldwide footprint because they have a web page or a, an app that's in other app stores. It is the law. It's not just not the U.S. law. But see, how is that going to work? Because you think they're going to abide by the European law. You don't think they're going to try and separate it somehow? No, absolutely not. Because the Euro Europeans already have a distrust of the United States because of the Snowden thing. You know, yes. That's why the safe harbor broke up. So if you were the European Union and you're looking to make some examples of people who are doing the wrong thing with privacy, where are you going to look on the first day? You're going to look at U.S. companies that are flaunting the GDPR law. So all of the U.S. companies have to know that they're in the uh, the uh, crosshairs. For they're going to be the first guys to get these big fines of you know whatever it is, twenty million or four percent of your global turnover, whichever is larger. I mean, it's re it's real. It's pain. It's career ending if you're the guy who is responsible. Yeah, because I mean already. Um I'm doing a little report on uh, forced data localization. I've been following uh, the LinkedIn case in Russia, and it seems like they're just making a political example out of them from what I've been looking at. Yeah. But at the same time, they technically are breaking the law because they they're, they don't want to abide by that. They seems like they don't trust Russia. That's just not how they handle it. They want to be, you know, not forcing all their data into Russia. But it, I don't know. It, I'm wondering how the you know appeal is going to happen on Thursday. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's a big world. There's lots of different people with different agendas. But, you know, in general, um, 
I think U.S. companies are going to be the very first in fire for all of this. So the Definitely. companies we're talking to kind of realize that, and they're like, hey, we, we have a lot to do in 18 months because I'm sure we're going to be first in line to get uh, you know examined by these European privacy guys. Which I'm sure is going to be a wonderful experience. <laughs> yes, like a trip to the proctologist. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. This is going to be great for all of our listeners. And if you have any comments, you know, on privacy law or something like that, go visit our blog post on FordhamIPLJ.org. I think it's a very interesting example and it's very cutting edge right now.